But many times, either verbally or in our minds, we are quick to speak, and we don't really hear what God has to say. And so these adjectives here, you should circle them quick, slow, slow, quick, slow, quick, slow, slow. They don't describe our action. They describe our attitude. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are continuing our study in the book of James. Today we find ourselves in James chapter 1, verse 19, in a sermon entitled, How to Hear God's Word. Let's join Pastor Carl as we learn to be quick to hear and slow to speak. I want to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to the epistle of James, James chapter one. If you are joining us for the first time, we have been working our way chapter by chapter and verse by verse. It's just 108 verses, and I've encouraged you to read it once a week until we complete the book. Uh, It's a short read, but the more you read it, the more you will see how it fits together. My goal is that if you get picked with a pin, that you will bleed the book of James by the time we're done. Now, you can't help but know James to some degree because it's one of the most quoted books in the Bible. Pastors repeatedly will come to it because James has probably more application, direct application, than any other single book in the Bible. So in some ways, you feel like you know it, but I want you to see how it all fits together that our lives would be changed. James chapter 1, you can see the topic for this morning is how to hear God's word. And I don't mean simply with your physical ears. Let's begin in verse 19 where we left off last time. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. There was an article that appeared in one of the most popular news magazines in the nation some years back that caught my attention. It was a blistering, scorching, vicious attack on the Sunday school in what we call the Adult Bible Fellowship Hour. It was entitled The Most Wasted Hour of the Week. And I tended to agree with the author with the exception that I think he missed it by one hour. Because it's altogether possible that the worship service, when a pastor opens the word of God, is the most wasted hour in America. If, if, and I say if, you hear the word of God with your physical ears, but not with your spiritual ears. If you are confronted by the truth, but you are not changed by the truth. People often come to church to approve the sermon rather than to be approved by the sermon. 
Now, I understand that God didn't give you the scripture just to satisfy your curiosity. He gave us the word of God to make us more like Christ. He didn't give us the word to make us smarter sinners, but to conform us into the glory of God. And so James asks and answers a question in this portion of scripture. Does the word of God change lives? And his answer is, depends on your response to it. If the word of God is truly heard, which will mean it will be genuinely obeyed, then it will indeed change your life. And so the real issue for James is not how much you know, but how much you obey what you know. And so James writes this letter for a couple of reasons. One, to weed out those who say they are Christians but are not. Though that's not his principal audience as we will work through this book. His principal audience is not unbelievers, but believers to wake them up because they are not maturing in Christ as they ought. That's the primary focus of the letter. Now, some of you have told me you've read it every week. Some have said I've read it four times, five times a week. That's fantastic. Well, as you read through it over and over and over again, you will discover that there are three principal divisions. Chapter 1 deals with the development of faith, and he highlights three problems. First, the problem of pain as we learn to endure trials. Then he deals with the problem of temptation, and that is followed by the problem of not applying the Scriptures to our lives. James wants us to know that if we are to be successful in dealing with trials and temptations, that that is indexed to our response to obey God's Word. Then in chapters 2 through 4, as you can see on this chart, we come to the second division of the book, and he deals with the distortion of faith. And he does so by looking first at our testimony, secondly at our tongue, and then third at things that we ought to avoid. First, our testimony, then our tongue, and then three things that we ought to avoid, quarrels and conflicts, unjust judgment towards one another, and presuming on the future. When you come to chapter 5, you come to the third section of the epistle, the display of faith. Now, that's the broad context. Let me set the immediate context for our passage. Here in the opening chapter, again, the focus is on the development of our faith. In verses 1 through 11, he deals with the subject of trials. Trials are an inevitable part of life. Saved or lost, all people will experience trials. But God wants to use those trials to change us, to mature us. And he has argued that if we consider it joy, if we calculate, that's a mathematical term, it to be good for us such that we can deem it to be potentially joyful, and we let that trial have its perfect result, then we will become mature through it. But then, if you remember, when you come to verse 12, um, this half-brother of the Lord Jesus, James, turns the corner a little bit, and he moves from the subject of trials to temptation. And we saw that verse 12 is somewhat of a hinge verse. It not only looks back, but it looks ahead. And so in verses 13 through 15, most of us at least know those three verses. He gives us a picture of the anatomy of sin. He speaks of LSD, lust, sin, and then death. And then when you come to verse 16, he gives a strong warning. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Now, Satan is the great deceiver, and he uses temptation and the sin that it can potentially yield to get us to think 
that God has chipped us, that God is ripping us off, that what he will give us is something better. That's been his uh, modus operandi from the very beginning. And so verse 16, it looks in both directions. It begins, do not be deceived. James is warning us that we are not to be deceived by blaming God for our sin. Why? Because God never tempts us. Why, you ask? Because one, it's contrary to his person. He says here, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And secondly, it's contrary to his purpose. He himself does not tempt anyone. Satan is the great deceiver, but God is the great deliverer. His interest is in our obtaining victory. God does not tempt you because the scripture says when we are tempted, we are carried away by our own lust. And when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin has been come about, it brings forth death. For the born again Christian, that means a loss of fellowship, a loss of intimacy with God. For the lost man, eternal death, ultimately eternal retribution and the place of divine punishment. But verse 16, if you will notice, also looks forward um, because neither are we to cast suspicion on the goodness of God, because if God does not tempt, then what precisely does he do? Well, he tells us he gives good and perfect gifts. Look at verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So James is using irrefutable logic. He gives us a major premise that God is good, and therefore he gives nothing but perfect gifts. And secondly, his minor premise is that God never changes. He is the same as the writer to the Hebrews says, yesterday, today, and forever. So every one of us, we need to run that through our thinking. When the world entices us, and Satan is the God, small g, of this world, energizing this world, when it entices us to go its way, remember, it offers nothing but death. And remember who God is. Because his ways are only for our good. And so to drive home the point, he gives an example. Do you remember it in verse 18? In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. We noted last time that this speaks of the second birth. The King James renders this, he begat us. The Net Bible says, by his sovereign plan, he gave us birth. Why? Because salvation is not the work of man. It is the work of God. By his doing, Paul will say, you are in Christ Jesus. You didn't come to Christ because you first sought him. You came to Christ whether you were four or 40 Because he first sought you. It was God coming after Adam when he asked, where are you, Adam? And so the cross was no afterthought as we studied in the Revelation series. We are told in Revelation 13 and verse 8 that the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. That is, it was in the heart and mind of Almighty God because he's omniscient, because he knows the beginning and the end, because he saw what man would do. It was in God's heart to redeem us. Ever before the tree was planted that Christ would hang on, God knew what he was going to accomplish for us. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And so it says, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth how? By the word of truth. 
Again, he's been using these birth analogies, and now he uses this illustration in two realms, as we'll see this morning, just as there are two parents in physical birth, there are two parents in spiritual birth. On the one hand, the Bible says in passages like first, uh, like John 3 or 1 Corinthians 12 that you're born again by the Spirit. On the other hand, the Bible teaches that you're born again by the Word of God. And that's what he is referencing here. God's Word was the divine, imperishable seed that brought about the second birth. And it all happens, how? In the exercise of his will. No one can take credit for coming to Christ on their own, and no one can take any credit for introducing someone to the Savior. It is a sovereign work of God Almighty. I'm not dismissing free will but it is a sovereign work of God. And why did God do all this? Notice, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. And we studied this beautiful Jewish imagery because he's writing to the 12 dispersed tribes who understood the feast of first fruits. And we saw the significance of that imagery last time. Now, James knows that if we are to respond properly to either trials or to temptations, then we must respond properly to the word of God. Now, please understand, just as the spirit of God brought about a second birth. The Spirit of God used the Word of God to accomplish that. And he is going to drive home that point in verses 19 through 27. He is going to teach us how to listen to God's Word because not only is the Word of God the instrument for the second birth, it is the same instrument the Spirit of God uses in the process of sanctification and making us like Christ. So James is going to really give us a sermon on how to hear a sermon. How do we hear the word of God? Many individuals have heard thousands and thousands of sermons in their lifetime. But James wants you to hear a sermon on how to hear a sermon. Now, if you're taking notes, let me give you the outline. In case you fall asleep, you'll know where we are. He begins with an introduction. He gives an exhortation. He follows it with an illustration, and he concludes with an application. So let's begin with James's introduction. Before he constructs his argument on how to listen to his sermon, how to hear the Word of God, he first has to lay a foundation. And so verses 19 and 20 are like a thesis statement. He begins, this you know. Know, my beloved brethren. The English Standard Version renders it, Know this, my beloved brethren. The NASB 2020 that will come out in paper next month says, This you know, my um, beloved brothers, and then italics it adds, and sisters. Because it's implied, this is a generic word, brothers and sisters. Now, in most of our English translations, it reads like an indicative statement. If you remember ninth grade English, maybe it was eighth grade, some of us had modern English, and so just like we had modern math, and so the Bible is a little bit more challenging for us to read, and and many uh, students today who go to seminary, they have to learn basic English grammar in order to learn Greek first. But this is an indicative statement. Uh, at least that's how it reads. It reads like an indicative, a statement of fact. 
But in the original, this is not an indicative statement. This is an imperative. And the ESV captures that. Know this. It's a, it's a command. He's commanding us. You need to get this. You need to know this. You need to get this straight. He's telling us to pay attention. Well, what do you want us to know? Look at verse 19. This you know or know this, my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Notice the pattern. Quick, slow, slow. So first, we are to be quick to hear. Point A there on your outline. Now, obviously and unfortunately, many of us are quicker to speak than we are to hear. But if you looked at yourself in the mirror this morning, you will notice you have one mouth and two ears, and by design. But the problem with many of us is we talk more than we listen. Now, while you are listening to God's word, I hope you're not talking to someone else, either reaching over and whispering or cutting a joke or talking to friends, texting and emailing and all those things that happens in church every week. And I certainly hope you're not just talking to yourself, planning the menus for the week, thinking about some business deal, what you're going to do this afternoon. Just talking over in your own mind what you want to do. You're not really listening. Think about the things you're passionate about. How do you listen when you're passionate about something? How do you read an article when you're passionate about something? Sadly, many of us are more passionate about things that are very temporal, that have no significance in eternal value. Solomon reminded us, even a fool keeps silent. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. In any field of knowledge, you learn not by speaking, but by listening. With that said, don't take it out of the context and go home and say, wife or husband, I've got a verse for you for our life and our marriage. You need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Listen, that may be a legitimate application in some marriages, but understand in the context, it's in our response to the word of God. It's very possible to have great exposure to the scripture and hearing it preached or taught or read without really hearing it. It's like the guy who faithfully does his Bible reading, you know, three chapters a day to keep the devil away, to get through the book in a year. And he's reading, but he's not really hearing. He just advances the bookmark. And if you ask them later in the day what those three chapters were about, he couldn't tell you if his life depended on it. When we hear God's word, we are to really hear it. That's what he wants us to do. And he recognizes that you may be going through difficult trials this morning. You may be facing some real live temptation. But if you are to be successful, then you have to have a right relationship to the word of God. You may be listening to everyone else and everything else. But he wants you to listen to this word. So he begins with, we are to be quick to hear. Notice secondly there, point B on your outline, we are to be slow to speak. We are to be slow to speak. Let me keep reading verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, or know this. Again, it's a command. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak. Now, too many times Christians are ready to comment or to give their opinion without really being here, hearing what's taught. 
if not audibly, at least mentally, before they've really, truly heard. Over the years, I've seen people get up and leave. Usually it happens at least once or twice a month. And occasionally I find out why they left. Yeah, one of the ushers said, everything okay? No, Pastor, blah, 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 blah. And sometimes, on a few occasions, I've actually had a chance to speak with the individual or individuals. And the conclusion that they came to as to what I was saying was actually the exact opposite. And if they had just waited just a little bit longer, another minute or two, they would have come to a different conclusion. But many times, either verbally or in our minds, we are quick to speak, and we don't really hear what God has to say. And so these adjectives here, you should circle them quick, slow, slow, quick, slow, quick, slow, slow. They don't describe our action. They describe our attitude. We are to be slow to speak. We are to be slow to talk back. That's the idea. And there are many times when you may not like what the Scripture is presenting you, and you want to argue. You want to rationalize. And remember, a rationalization is nothing more than a rational lie. It's like you say to the child, sit down. And they sit down, but on the inside they are standing up. And sometimes we are sitting down, on the outside, but on the inside, we are arguing with God. Hey, listen, don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger boy. Don't take your argument out with me. James recognized that people would get angry. No wonder he prefaced it with words like, my beloved brethren. He's saying, I love you. Don't get mad at me. I'm here to tell you the truth, even if it's difficult. It may be inconvenient. It may be incompatible with your lifestyle, but before you argue it or rationalize it away, let God truly speak to you. A young man once approached the famous Roman orator Socrates. Many a man in that century wanted to be discipled by him, and he went to convince Socrates why he should take him on as a student. And with this incessant flow of words, finally, Socrates put his hand over the boy's mouth and he said, young man, to instruct you in oratory, I will have to charge you a double fee. When the young man asked why, Socrates is recorded as saying, because I have to teach you two skills, the first on how to hold your tongue and the second on how to use it. <laughs> My brothers and sisters in Christ, you cannot speak and learn at the same time. We are to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and again, the order is very, very significant. When I look out at this auditorium in these two services, the last service we had 35 states, four countries live streaming with us, and I think about all the different businesses and families and neighborhoods and battalions and all the different spheres of influence that each of us have, I get excited and I think, what could God do for his glory to advance his kingdom if we have something to say? But do we really have something to say, something to speak? James wants us to have something to say. So first, he says we are to be quick to hear. Secondly, we are to be slow to speak. But third, we are to be slow to anger. He says everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And the word here, anger, is orge. And it's an interesting word because it's not used of an explosive external anger, 
but it's used repeatedly in the New Testament of a settled, smoldering, internal kind of anger that sometimes only you and God are aware of. Question, why does he mention the need to be slow to anger? For the obvious reason in the context, if you get angry at the word of God, you won't be changed by the word of God. And again, his emphasis here is on those who hear the truth, that they can potentially resent the truth in attitudes and actions on the inside. Listen, when I sat under a surgeon's knife a few years ago, I didn't say, don't do that. I let him cut on me. Why? Because I know the cutting would bring healing. And listen, God's word is like a double-edged sword. It cuts. It goes to the depth of the marrow in the bone. And you're not to argue with God. I know so well what the Apostle Paul says when he writes to the church at Galatia. And he says, so have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? I get hateful letters. And by the way, if you send me one and you don't sign it, that's the first thing I look for. I just throw it in the basket. I don't even read it. But I get hateful letters and emails and things at my website by people, not from y'all, most of y'all would never do that to me, but from people who I'm not their pastor. And they have total freedom, they feel, to crucify me. But what they're really angry at is not me. When they postulate their argument for anger, I think what you're arguing about is what God has said. Listen, the word of God pricks, it cuts, it convicts. And sometimes we want to guard ourselves. So why is it important that we guard ourselves from anger and not from the truth of God's word? He gives us the answer. Look at verse 20. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The living translation paraphrases that human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Now, anger can be very subtle. And some of you are too spiritual to say, well, I don't really ever get angry with God's word. When all the while you're arguing in your mind with some of the things you're hearing, you say, that's just Berge's opinion, and you haven't really examined it contextually and carefully studied to see, is that what God is saying? And so James doesn't want us to get angry with the word. He wants us to respond to it. And so he's laying the foundation here on how to hear the word of God. Because before you can construct a superstructure that's worth anything, you don't build it on the foundation of a chicken coop. You need a strong foundation. According to two of America's leading pollsters, George Bonner and the Gallup Group, they say today there is very little difference between the moral and spiritual standards of believers versus those who do not confess Christ. And I suppose much of that is because the seeds are being planted for the great apostasy, the great falling away, the apostasy of all apostasies that the Antichrist will bring. And so there's a lot of people in our churches who really aren't saved. The biggest wake-up call in all of human history will come when people stand before the Lord who claim to know him, who had all the externals, who jumped through all the hoops, and he will say, I never knew you. To truly listen to the word of God, 
you must examine passages and verses of Scripture in context. If you would like a copy of today's message in its entirety, go online to searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program James 004. Maybe you want to listen to Dr. Brogy's messages offline, in the car, or on a walk. You can do that by downloading the Search the Scriptures app found on the Apple and Google Play Store. Just type Search the Scriptures and look for the blue icon with the white triangle. On the app, you can download messages to listen to anytime, anywhere. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl will continue his message entitled, How to Hear God's Word in the Book of James. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.